After the Prophet continued with his uh, da'wah, especially early on in Mecca, وسلم, so initially there was the private phase, and then things went public when he went to the mountain of Safa and invited Quraysh to accept Islam. And by far and large, there wasn't the most positive response, especially as it relates to the response of his of his own paternal uncle, Abu Lahab, who responded very harshly uh, in front of everyone. And due to that harsh response, Allah responded with Suratul Lahab, Tabat Yada Abi Lahab bin Watab. The, the da'wah continues and you have slowly but surely, little by little, more people accepting Islam over time. Now we're not talking about dozens and hundreds of th- and thousands of people, you know, flocking to Islam immediately. You have a few people accepting Islam here and there. And you notice a pattern that it wasn't it wasn't just those there were some people who were well off who accepted Islam, like Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, Sayyidina Uthman, a few other examples. But generally speaking, you typically had more of the youth, you had more of uh, more women accepting Islam. And you also had those, what you may describe as being from among the lower class. Either they were not slaves, but they were of a lower class, or they were slaves and they embraced Islam and they were severely mistreated and then they were freed. Even then, they, even after they were freed, of course, they, they don't just jump up to, to being upperclassmen from a dunya perspective, but from a deen perspective. Uh, a good example is, is Bilal ibn Rabah radiallahu an. From the perspective of Quraysh, he was, you know, he had a very low status. But with Allah and his messenger, his status was extremely high radiallahu an. So this is the part where we get to some of the struggles that some of the, the blessed companions went through. We all know the story of Bilal and how his master Umay ibn Khalaf, he didn't just dislike that that Bilal had accepted Islam. He severely hated it. He was a staunch enemy of Islam and the Prophet ﷺ. So he would torture him, and, and, and we know the stories, right? He would lay him on the hot desert sand, and he would put rocks on him, and, and he would you know, have him dragged and severely mistreated. Why? Because he believed in La ilaha illallah. Because he believed, Bilal believed, that all men were created equal, and the only thing that makes one person better than another with Allah Azza wa Jal is the condition of their heart, is the, is the status of their taqwa. So from his perspective, it's an even playing field, and the only thing that truly matters with Allah is what you produce, what you put forth. What are, what are you preparing for when you meet Allah? What are you preparing for tomorrow for Judgment Day? That was his perspective, but Umay ibn Khalaf, he didn't like that his slave saw them as equal. He thought, how could my slave possibly think of us as equal? Do you know who I am? Puffed up with pride and, and full of arrogance. And so he severely tortured him. And what was Bilal's response? Ahadun 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 ahad. There would be this staunch pressure, this really uh, severe pressure for him, to, for him to crack, for him to break. But he didn't, subhanAllah. And what would he repeat? Ahadun ahad, only one, only one, only one, only one. And this helped him get through that difficult phase. And then we, as we know, Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an, he passes by one day when this is happening and he negotiates his freedom and he frees him. 
And you find Abu Bakr doing this with a number of different, a number of different slaves. These slaves had accepted Islam. They're being mistreated because they had accepted Islam. And he would go out of his way to negotiate something to grant them their freedom. He didn't necessarily have to grant them their freedom. He could have purchased them, so to speak, and then, and then not done that. But he would go above and beyond because he was a person of ihsan. And when you come through the Qur'an, it's important for us to note the different qualities and the different types of people who Allah says He loves. That, that statement is not, is not used regarding a huge amount of different groups of people. But one of the few groups who are mentioned, Wallahu yuhibbul muhsinin. Allah loves people of ihsan. If you look at the Quran closely, technically speaking, you don't find the phrase, Wallahu yuhibbul muslimin. You don't find that specific phrase. Well, Allah, it, Allah is the most loving, we understand this, but in terms of the phrases that we find in the Quran, technically, that phrase is not found. Because at that point, there's the claim. That's stage one and that's good. But what Allah is saying, He loves the cream of the crop. And we ask Allah to make all of us from among them, from among the people of Ihsan. So you have Abu Bakr going and putting his money where his mouth is and freeing people. Freeing people. It wasn't cheap, but he understood he's doing business with Allah Azza wa Jal. He understood that this is an investment for my hereafter. Therefore, it's worth it to make that sacrifice financially now. And he would do that time and time again. You also have the example of Khabab ibn al-Arat, a very early companion. And he was, he was a blacksmith. And he was literally burned over live coals. Why? Because he said, La ilaha illallah. So the, the, the main point for us to take away from this is to reflect on the sacrifices that those who came before us, the sacrifices they went through so that we can say, La ilaha illallah. Do we understand their stories? Do we appreciate their stories? Because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Right? And when we learn about who these giants were, then we come to appreciate them. We come to, to deepen our own roots if we understand our history. You have the example of Abdullah bin Mas'ud, who he goes and he recites Qur'an publicly. He starts reciting Surah Al-Rahman, and he gets completely clobbered. Why? Because he believed Allah was Ar-Rahman, because he believed in La ilaha illallah. So as we come across these different stories, we don't just want to turn the next page and, oh wow, Bilal went through this, and this other person went through that. Ammar bin Yasir. Seeing his parents tortured in front of him, seeing them killed in front of him, on top of that, he's going through his own torture, and it's so difficult to the point where he ends up, because they're trying to pressure him to insult the Prophet ﷺ and to praise Allah and Al-Uzza, two of the, the primary idols they had. And he's resisting, he's resisting, he's resisting, but it was too much. At the end of the day, we're very limited as human beings. And as tough and strong as he was, by that point, it was too much. So he gave in and he said that. He said what they wanted to say. Then he goes himself to the Prophet ﷺ to apologize. He felt bad. He felt guilty. And he explained the circumstances to the Prophet. And Allah reveals, and we find this ayah in Surah An-Nahl, إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِيهَ وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ That if someone is under such difficult compulsion and they say these things, but within their hearts, they're truly and deeply content with iman, then Allah is forgiving and merciful. Allah understands the different struggles and challenges that we have and the circumstances that we're all, that we're all dealing with. The point is, look at what they're going through because they believed in la ilaha illallah. And then for us to reflect, why were they willing to go through all of that for la ilaha illallah? Why, why were they so connected 
to this message? Why did they value it so deeply to the point they were willing to put their lives on the line? The first martyr that we have in Islamic history is Sumayya. So, so the first believer is Khadija radiallahu anha, and the first martyr is Sumayya radiallahu anha. And then soon after her, her husband uh, Yasir. And Ammar, he's in his 30s and he's witnessing this, but it's too much. The point is for us to reflect, to come across these stories and to think deeply, why is this message so powerful? And why were there some people, not just now, even then, who hated it so much? Why were they so insecure? The Muslims were doing nothing against them. They weren't going and attacking them and throwing rocks at them and whatever. They were just minding their own business. They wanted to practice this deen, but they didn't like that now they felt empowered within themselves. This deen has something very deeply embedded in it that gives someone who truly connects with it a very strong sense of izzah, a very strong sense of honor. And a good example, and I'll conclude with this, is that of Malcolm X. You look at where he came from, you look at his story, before he accepted Islam, he, when, when he, so he, he was involved in crime, he was caught up in the streets, one of his nicknames, and this should give us hope for ourselves and others around us, one of his nicknames prior to him accepting Islam, completely changing and transforming his life, was literally Satan, was Shaitan. One of his nicknames was Shaitan. That's how far out there he was. But when he connected with the light of Islam, it completely transformed him from the inside to the outside. It completely changed everything. Now, he was willing to stand up and speak the truth. Now he was willing to die for what he believed in, and even before that, to live for what he believed in. So we have to ask ourselves, who, whose shoulders are we standing on, and do we truly appreciate their example? We ask Allah to guide all of us and to forgive us. We ask Allah to increase all of us in our love for the companions and for the Prophet ﷺ. We ask Allah to gather all of us in Firdaus Amir Rabbil Alameen. Wa akhiru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.